It's a beautiful view, isn't it? It is. I forget to enjoy it sometimes. This must have been what the view from Olympus was like. We're not like the gods, but we're not like them, either. We're not like anyone. Do you ever feel alone? Diana, of course I do. But I've learned a way to deal with it. I can show you. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott and I've got mostly the full crew here today. I have Brian Hughes. Hey, how's it going? We have John Hyatt. Hey. And last but certainly not least, we have Kirk Greenfield. Good morning. Uh, well, I'm I am recovered from right. Comic-Con. How about you, Tim? <laughs> Do what? I am recovered from Comic-Con finally. I well, I didn't wasn't that, be able to go as long as you had because I was there more for work. But yeah, uh, yeah it was a I mean it was a quick you know drive. I drove down Tuesday and drove back Thursday, so it was a quick five hours there and five hours back. But I, uh, I just think being around all those people like that in in uh, even for one day would be taxing. I know that that the Dallas fan you know the the Dallas Fan Expo. That, I mean, I was there for three days, and every day I got home and was just exhausted just from being around all the people. But that's just me. It, it can be, yeah. It's funny because some people either, they either draw, they will draw energy from that crowd or it will drain you. And if you're doing that, you're doing that con shuffle where it's really crowded and you're having to walk the shuffle all over the place, that'll wear you out quicker than anything else. Plus the risk of COVID. That too, and I luckily I was when I was there for the first day. It was just vendors and Freeman people that were putting things up. So uh, then I had the the one preview night, which was kind of busy, but it wasn't like I'm sure when you were there, John, where it was just full blown um, packed. And I didn't get to see any of the costumes because nobody was dressed up on. Wednesday night, so that's that's more disappointing than anything else. That's one of the, the benefits of going and seeing all the great costumes. Yeah, it was a lot of them. There was a lot of a lot of good costumes, and um, uh, especially on Saturday, that's when they really pull out all the stops. Mm-hmm. But uh, down in the the outside of the convention area, there was also a lot of costumes. We call it the gas lamp area here in San Diego. It's where there's a lot of restaurants and bars and shops and things. And uh, a lot of uh, larger entertainment folks will take over restaurants or bars and theme them or uh, they'll set up big displays out there too. So there's a lot of experiences outside of the convention that uh, are also available for folks who, who, uh, uh, can't make it in or who want to just get out of the halls there for a little while. And there's tons of great costuming, a lot of really good stuff, a lot of Thors and Captain Americas and Iron Mans. <laughs> yeah, they, I was, uh, I had dinner down there at uh, the fields uh, the first night I got there and they had, it looked like they had turned a bar into a 
something to do with the new Dungeons and Dragons film. And they had uh, a quick mart set up, I think, for the new Kevin, the Clerks 3. <laughs> it's something like that. A quick um, stop. A quick stop. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's they've, they've kind of expanded outside the boundaries of the convention center itself to mm-hmm. kind of spread it out. So, you know, there's there's so much going on, and and I want to you know kind of push us along to get into some of the things that that's been happening this week because we, we we I mean we've only got Kurt for a limited time today, but um, there's there's a lot that's 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 happened. Uh, first and foremost, unfortunately, is the uh, the death of Michelle Nichols, uh, Lieutenant O'Hara from Star Trek. And uh, that one, I think, kind of was a gut shot to a lot of us here. I know, I, I know, it affected me and my wife and uh, and uh, others I spoke to. So uh, I didn't know what, what you guys, if you guys had any personal experiences. I never met her directly. My friends had, but I had not. I don't. I think she's the one I had never met at a con. If I do, I don't remember it. I, I've met everybody else. I've, I think other than Nimoy, I don't think I ever saw Nimoy. Um, I slept in the same building he did, but I didn't at the same hotel. But I, I was not. Uh, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't go to the con. Well, John, I saw that you posted that you got to meet her in person. Yes, I met her in 2009 at Comic Con San Diego. Uh, she was uh, promoting a project she was in, and it was really weird because when I met her, there was like nobody standing around her table or anything. So I sat down and. Uh, chatted with and got to chat with her for like 10 minutes and she was just such a delightful person I really enjoyed chatting with her and then I saw her again it's a wonder con and I think it was 2018 I um, she was there and I got to step over and say hi to her and again there wasn't like a huge crowd around her so I was able to just go right up and, and say hi to her and, again, tell her how much I appreciated her work. Now, when was uh, that last one? 2018. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I know in these last few years that uh, her appearances at the conventions have been fewer and far between. Uh, she's been, you know, they say she'd been suffering dementia and uh, that uh, her handlers have been more... Uh, more responsible for her her movements than uh, than in past. Yeah, I think that was probably one of her last con appearances. I, I think they probably diminished quite. Uh, you know, they were they were fewer after that. But yeah, so I got to see her there, and that was really cool. I now I remember about I think they... five six years ago when Comic Book Men was still on uh, AMC. That she she was on there one episode getting an, an actually an action figure of herself if I remember right, and uh, they got one and gave it to her for free, uh, but she seemed very uh, together, very lucid and everything. So I, I was surprised to hear that that going on with her. Yeah, she makes it. She was. I seem to remember seeing stuff on Facebook that they were kind of announcing. Maybe it was last year, or maybe it was the 2018, uh, that this was going to be her last. Which I guess they knew she was getting to a point where she couldn't go to the cons anymore. Yeah. Um, and of course, we haven't had a lot of cons during COVID anyway. But I don't um, remember clearly, but I may have seen her once at the Chicago con back in the uh, back in the nineties or the uh, long time ago. Did a little too much of that LDS in college? No, I just I don't <laughs> just have kidding. a clear. 
I, I remember very clearly comments from um, Scotty and from uh, Bones when I saw them and Mark Daniels, I believe, at different cons. And I don't have a clear memory of anything that she said. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I hesitate to say whether I ever saw her. I will say that I'm, I was so impressed that uh, NASA picked her as a spokesperson and recruiter for minorities. I thought that was a brilliant choice, and I think she served in that role very well as an ambassador for uh, for, uh, for uh, NASA. Hmm. Well, you know, there's that story, and, and I don't want to say it's apocryphal, but it, you know, it's the story that gets passed around a lot. That when she was on the show, and I guess she was thinking of leaving, that Martin Luther King reached out to her. I think it was Martin Luther King. Yeah, Martin Luther reached King reached out to her and said, "said No, you okay?" He said, "Yeah, no, you're you're doing something very important. You you know you're in a you're a you know a, a woman of color in the '60s, and you've got a not a starring role, but you've got a prominent role. Yeah, now, that's what, what, important. You said apocryphal. Where does that come from? Because I I don't know. Heard... I'm not saying. I just hear the same story told well, over and I, over. I mean, I've heard her tell that you know in interviews and other things. So I I, I, I totally believe that it's that it's real. Yeah, I'm not trying to say it is a park. I'm just saying when yeah. you hear stories like that told kind of over and over and over, you know, you know, I'm I'm not inclined to say that it didn't happen, but um, that's kind of the big story. Yeah, uh, she may have she may her, have dressed it up just a little bit to make yeah, it more dramatic, but, but the point is still very clear. Everybody's, yeah, everybody's going to do that, you yeah. know. I think. Okay. I, I will say that just real quick of the of the. I would say of the 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 B stars, and not to take anything away from, but we all know that that Chatner and Nimoy and Kelly were the three big. Yeah. yeah. Of the of the of Takai and Koenig and Dewan, she didn't seem to really have a, at least that that I've heard of a little any really animosity towards Shatner the way the others have kind of been grumbly over the years. Yeah. Well, she, did you read? Um, I think it was Shatner's autobiography. I've, I've heard the tale in two different biographies that I, I read, so I believe it's true. But he was interviewing her, and she said, let me tell you why I like you, Bill. And so she blah, 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 blah. And the recorder was running. And then as he reached to turn it off, she says, no, wait, uh, let me tell you why I dislike you. And he was, like, completely caught off guard. And she let him have it and said, you steal lines from people. You, you know, for whatever reason your ego uh is is brighter than others and you know just she she called a spade a spade and he was caught off guard by it in in two accounts uh, but he accepted it and he published it so you know i give him credit for that i believe the story is true well he also yeah. he also published how he tried multiple times to uh talk to jimmy Dewan and Dewan just refused Right, you know, and, and you know, he he recognized in later years that you know his ego really did push, push him to push things, and it pushed people away. Um, he's never had you know a good relationship with George Takei, and I don't, you know, I don't think Walter Koenig has been overly um, vocal about anything. I do know that he, that Walter Koenig, was the kind of guy that'd probably get upset if his lines were taken away, because he's definitely one of those guys that counts lines, and that's according to uh, Shane Johnson, who's a personal friend of his. Um, but, it, you know, that, all that aside, it, you know, it's just a sad week. 
uh, hearing about that, and, and you know, it's it's one of those that I think that a lot of people were, were really touched. Um, and I mean, you know, hers was of course a death that was on the national news, uh, and and so you know, it it definitely affected a lot of people. So you know, our hats off to uh, Lieutenant Hura. Hailing frequencies closed. So, uh, moving on from that, uh, another thing that uh, did happen this week that was rather interesting was the complete canning of the Batgirl movie. And this is in wake of the uh, realignment of what's going on at, uh, at Warner Brothers and the movement towards Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, had you guys uh, heard any anything on this? Just that it got that it, it was shelved, yeah. and that that I don't think they'll do it. But there's rumors that they might do the same with the Flash film because all the stuff that's been going on with Ezra Miller. I don't think they'll can that because I don't think Batgirl was a, a theater release film, was it? It was going to be no. It was going to be a theater release movie, but it was a lot, was a lot like Shazam okay. in that the budget was a lot less than the other one. The budget was only like ninety million. I say only, but you know, yeah, the budget was 90, ninety million. <laughs> and um, they, you know, of course, it touted the fact that they had uh, at least Michael Keaton Batman in it. And uh, so there was, you know, the the test images that were out there of Keaton's Batman costume were actually. Uh, things that were slagged a lot um, hmm. but you know and the images uh, of uh, and I'm trying to remember her name uh, of the, 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 the woman that's playing Batgirl in there uh, they were not you know necessarily flattering but it's kind of when you see the, the production images like that I think about the, the production images of uh, Captain Marvel where you saw uh, uh, Brie Larson in, in the outfit and it was real saggy and everything but it wasn't what you were seeing in the movie on screen where they you know of course you know make sure that they get the best shots and everything looks its best um, yeah. but that that being said you know the the test screenings that they had were abysmal and uh, so they, they basically that along with the restructuring and everything they decided to go ahead and and can the movie now that's not to say that we're not going to see it sometime in the future uh, chances are it'll probably wind up like uh, that that uh, Roger Corman Fantastic Four film. Not necessarily VHS tapes being sold at conventions, but it'll probably get wind up getting streamed somewhere accidentally, and it'll wind up being available. Well, I don't know why why they don't just. I mean, you could recoup some of your your costs just stream it. If you're not going to release it to theaters, just put it on HBO. I don't think they okay. want the buzz of it right now. I think they yes. want they want all that to go by, and then later on they'll release it wh whether it's the new network or HBO Max because this has WB, the movie this, been what? has it been completed? Yeah, it's complete. It's done. It's oh, the, I thought they were they they had scrapped it before they no no got it's, it. it's in no, the no, can. It's, done. it's in the oh, can. Oh my god, it must at least... be terrible. Like that call. <laughs> I, well, no, I thought they hadn't finalized it all. I thought they were well, still doing I'm sure production. They, I'm sure they could have matter. done. Yeah, I'm sure they could have probably edited it more, and, and that was probably the uh, the idea, especially with everything else that's going on. Because now we're hearing reports that uh, uh, at least Ben Affleck has filmed scenes for Aquaman two, and uh, yeah, now this may be part of what's going on with the Flash. And, and again, I haven't heard anything along these lines. 
I'm just kind of, you know, gleaming from the information that's been coming out. And I kind of think that what they're doing is they're taking uh, many of the scenes from the Flash movie and finding different places to put it. But also at the same time, uh, Warner Brothers is looking for someone or if they maybe they've already found someone to take that Kevin Feige role. Uh, and they've said, stated they have a 10 year plan now for, you know, to, to do the movies like Marvel did to lead up to a big, big thing. So they're, they're, they're definitely eschewing all the, not necessarily all the Snyderverse stuff, but they're eschewing the plot lines of the Snyderverse. They're they're, not, it sounds like they're starting over. Yeah, but it's they're kind not going to be a soft of, reboot. They're not going to get rid of the things that work. They're not going to get rid of Aquaman. They're not going to get rid of Wonder Woman. You know, uh, and and so you know they'll use Ben Affleck as they can. I don't think that they necessarily buying in totally on Robert Pattinson's Batman, uh, but you know we'll see. It's just uh, this is really a, a very interesting move, and it's uh, really surprised a lot of people. So you know we'll just have to wait and wait and see what happens. Well, it's it's not unusual for some films to sit on the shelf for. A couple years before it comes out i mean yeah and if 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 all principal photography's done and they're doing post-production effects then they may think well let's don't spend the money on that let's go ahead and shelf it so yeah to your point brian i'm i would not be surprised it shows up either as leaked or it just shows up finished because they want to dump it uh, on a streaming service yeah so. and that's probably what's going to happen uh a quick happy birthday to michael shannon General Zod from Man of Steel turned 48 today. Um, and you guys, I don't know if you'll remember this guy, Eric Johnson, who played Whitney Fordman in Smallville. And um, I, I got. Never I, watched Smallville. Uh, it's, it's actually, I've got some interesting things to talk about once we get into the book that uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. So, not necessarily in the book, but around the book. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's anybody else that. Uh, is really relevant to this. John Glover turned 78 today. That's interesting. It, John, okay. John Glover and Eric Johnson both have the same birthday, not birth year, obviously. And I think that's probably it. Oh, Alf Alpha Schweitzer would have had his birthday today. <sighs> well, I, I think I mentioned in text, I didn't like I should mention on the air, but my nephew that recently had his first son mm -hmm. was born on John Byrne's birthday. Oh. Yeah, and we just passed that not too long ago. So happy yeah, birthday yeah. to uh the little Oliver Elliot. Oliver Elliot it's and, and JB. Same same as JB. And so I've already picked up a couple uh, you know, I'll pick up a couple Burn, you know, when he gets older, be like, well here, you know, you share this birthday, you might as well read his stuff. Have we talked about <laughs> what we're talking about today? Have did we mention it earlier? We kinda skipped over that, didn't we? I don't think so but before we get into that i know you're probably itching to talk about the elsewhere stuff do you want to yeah. kind of you're on top of that yeah uh you know just again this is directly from john byrne himself um in in that this week he announced that he's not going to be working further at least he doesn't plan to work any further on x-men elsewhere uh he's releasing the 32nd issue uh, starting this last Tuesday, uh, and he's not going to continue any further, at least by his reckoning, he's not going to continue any further. Uh, after he completes releasing this issue, 
he will then, you know, release other things that, and, and he's been putting little notes in his comment section about different plot lines because there are things that happen in this issue and he goes, yeah, that's regarding this plot line, which we won't be able to complete and such. So I, for all intents and purposes, what he's saying is that, you know, the itch has been scratched and he just doesn't have the drive to uh, draw draw it anymore. So, uh, I mean, we're probably at, at the end on this, and you would just got to accept it and be thankful that he was giving us free comic books for the last three, four years now. Um, and, uh, you know, that's... I mean, it's sad, but at the same time, I, you know, I'm not going to begrudge the man that. That's, you know, it's his choice. It's his... It's what he wants to do, and, and we've been enjoying that for a while, but, you know... There just comes a point where, you, you know, you don't feel like doing it anymore. I know there are days I get up and I just don't want to go to work. And if I had millions of dollars and a nice, comfortable home, I probably would, you know, maybe take some time off. But, uh... Well, there's a difference between doing work for hire and doing work... He's doing this for himself. Right, yes. So, it's the... You have a feel a little more freedom of, I can walk away anytime I want to. I'm doing this absolutely... Like this podcast we do. Nobody pays us for this. We right. decide we don't want to do it. We don't do it. Uh, but, you know, comic readers are not new to unresolved plot lines. So, you, you know, I think we could all just um, relax a little bit. He may come back to it. If he doesn't, then we've got 32 great issues he's already given us, and we should be thankful for that. And if he comes back, who knows? You know, this this may open the door to something completely different. Maybe he's going to go back to doing commissions. Maybe he's going to go back to doing Star Trek. So I don't think he's going to just up and leave us. There's going to be something, a kind of output coming out from this man. We just don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and you know, it's, um, I mean, it, it, again, it makes me wonder if he's got anything else in the back burner. He had mentioned that uh, he was going to be working on something, but he wasn't ready to talk about it. And there has been, you know, little things back, you know, over over the last couple of years about Star Trek, maybe more new visions or, you know, maybe something else. And we haven't, you know, heard anything on that either. I'm, I'm wondering, is he just done? No, I think he's, I think he's going to have to have some outlet for he can't. I don't think he can just sit on his hands and do nothing. I think he's got to do, whether he's getting paid for it or not. I think this man has to generate something creative. Which came first, his announcement that this is maybe the end, or Ohura's passing? I think Ohura passed first, didn't she? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it may have been the same day. I hadn't even thought about the uh, the Star Trek new new visions, the, the the new journeys. I wonder if he'll do a tribute issue to her. No, I don't know. I'm don't just speculating. So. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't think that uh, that was in his uh, in his plan. Whew. Anyway, um, so you know, well, uh, yeah, of course. We're uh, 20-something issues in on Elswind in our coverage of that, and uh, in the next couple months we'll uh, uh, continue that on to the end. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's something I'm looking forward to. always like covering those. But uh, is there anything else you guys want to cover before we get into our book, which we haven't named yet? 
No, I, I mean, everybody think we knows can... what it, yeah, everybody knows what it is. <laughs> we uh, all know what it is. Yeah, it was something that we've been I've been wanting to cover for a long time, and I thought it was really appropriate. Uh, you know, s since we've been covering so much uh, George Perez, and that is Action Comics six hundred. And an anniversary issue. Not just an anniversary issue. I mean, this this was just huge, huge. It was, you know, the 50th anniversary of Superman, of the creation of Superman. It was the the 600th issue of Action Comics, and then those two things together are just stupendous. And you know, there was work by so many people that went into putting this what 80 page giant book together. Yeah. And it was the real 600th issue, not these. Oh, we canceled the book, renumbered, right? And the, oh, we, oh, we're coming up on an anniversary, so let's renumber. Let's go back to the old numbering for the anniversary, and then we'll just cancel it and start a new book with new numbering. And oh, it's time to come up, so let's old number it again. So it's the real 600th anniversary. Yeah, issue. and and, and, it, <laughs> and it's also, of course, the end of uh, two things. Um, number one, it was the end of Byrne uh, writing and drawing action as a team-up book because, uh, I mean, he stopped his run on there because they changed formats, and the format changed to a weekly format, more of an uh, anthology book that had multiple stories told by multiple artists, writers, and, and others, and, and it actually gave work to, to uh, guys like Kurt Schaffenberger and Kurt Swan uh, who had uh, pretty much been left by the wayside once John Byrne had taken over Superman. How long did that revamped format last? I don't recall how many 40, issues. 43 it... issues. Really? Yeah. Oh, it was longer than I thought. It yeah, but, a while. Well, I mean, you say long, but that, and that's just, that's almost four years um, if you did it in a monthly thing, but it was done in a weekly, so it didn't even make it one whole year. Yeah, about 10 months or so. Then. And that's just about enough time for them to get the sales numbers and to adjust to that, really. Back in that time, it took, you know, four months for them to realize just what they're doing and then another couple months to uh, change course. So well, it was a radical change, as I remember. Yes. Because I, I wasn't aware that it was coming. And it was a very, well, it was a very odd uh, format for those of us that were expecting things monthly. It also drove us back to the, the comic shops each week. And I wonder if that... I always went every week. <laughs> well, Wednesday, yeah, I, Wednesday was like right. Wednesday was like new car day. I mean, you go in there and it's like, I, you know, I, I hate to... Uh, parody Sheldon on Big Bang Theory, but you know it's like they open the boxes and you can smell that new comic book smell, and you know you you were there every Wednesday with your friends waiting for the new books to come out. Mm-hmm. And there was a sometimes you got there sometimes you got there early. They weren't quite they hadn't had the books out. You couldn't touch them. Yeah. Right. So Ed, that's that's the true mark of an addict. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. My name is Brian Hughes. I'm a comic book addict. I admit it freely. Now, you know, we talked about you know this being an ending of sorts since you know John Byrne stopped uh, writing and drawing action, and um, he uh, the book also stopped being the the team up book that it was. Uh, but I mean, it also you know changed things in the Superman culture because at this point. 
uh, John Byrne was basically writing all of the books, Adventures of Superman, Superman, and Action Comics. And at this point, he turned over some of the writing chores to other guys, Roger Stern. And uh, they, they, at some point, he even let Jerry Ordway write some, didn't he? Well, he was co-plotted yeah. adventures, wasn't he, with him? Well, I know he was artist on it. I don't know that he was co-plotting. I mean, I, it, it may may be a lot like his work with Chris Claremont on X-Men, um, but he did. I don't think he got. He was listed. He was listed as co-plotter. Okay. I, I read the the adventure comic right before this one. Adventure four forty. Yeah. 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 And yeah. You're right. He's co-plotter. listed as co-plotter. Yep. Yeah. So so yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, and, and just so you guys understand, and the listeners and everybody, there's a reading order that you have to follow to get up to Action 600. So you would read Superman number 17, then Adventures of Superman 440, before reading Action 600. Uh, this is before the Triangle days, uh, and yeah. you know they just counted on the readers to be smart enough. Uh, and at some point they uh, they didn't trust uh, trust us. Uh, but let me talk a little bit about that. The, the books that came out this this month and it's listed as May of 1988. Obviously, Action Comics 600 came out. Adventure of Superman 440 and uh, Superman number 17. But we also had uh, Classic X Men number 21, and that is the reprint of X Men 115 where the X-Men go up against Sauron, and it's got that famous image of Wolverine, uh, two-page image of Wolverine diving out of that Sauron with claws out. I actually have a tin of that uh, up on my wall there under my Star Trek clock. We also had uh, Starbrand number 13, where he did uh, light pencils on Tom Palmer inks. And World of Smallville number two that he wrote and Kurt Schaffenberger did the artwork with Alfredo Acala doing the inks. There was also a, a reprint, a German reprint of uh, Action 587 with Etrigan the Demon. Stat der Verlornen Selin. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to read it. I don't know why. Um... But look at now. Let's see what else we got on this book. Yeah, uh, the uh, obviously, if you look at the cover, the cover's a, a John Byrne cover with inks by George Perez. Now this cover is a uh, an homage to the cover of Superman Annual Seven and even Superman Annual One. And these are giant size annuals. But if you look at Superman Annual Seven, it's actually got a silver statue. Or a, 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 a like a gunmetal statue of Superman on it, and it looks very much like uh, this one here. Whereas Superman Annual One is the same cover design, but Superman just standing there, arms akimbo, uh, drawn by I believe Wayne Boring, that kind of barrel-chested Superman. Uh, let's see. So. Let me get into particulars of this book. Of course, it's Action Comics 600, published by DC Comics. Cover date of May 1988. On sale date, February 2nd, 1988. Uh, the cover price was $250, being an 80-page giant. The story, uh, the main story in this, Different Worlds, was written in pencil by John Byrne, uh, inks by George Perez, letter by John Costanza, colored by Thomas J. Zuko and edited by Mike Carlin. Now, as far as the artwork goes, uh, 
Byrne had said that uh, he did very tight pencils on Superman and his characters, and then he did loose pencils on Diana and her crew so that George could come in and do his thing to give it the George Perez look. So um, and that look does is very apparent. Yeah. I was reading this last night. It's um, it's weird. It, it you you see burn in the layouts, mm-hmm. but Perez really comes through with mostly with the details and especially on Wonder Woman. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I found it interesting because you know George Perez has his own distinctive look for Superman. But when he inked Burn Superman, he he inked him not in his own model. So it was it, you know it was interesting to see Superman's look. But sometimes he didn't look like you know the standard Burn model or the Perez model. So, but we can talk about that when we get into it. You guys want to hear the synopsis, or did you have any other comments? No, oh, I think you can. All right. Well, <clears throat> what was was there an alternate cover? There is an alternate cover that's got uh, Superman and Wonder Woman in the embrace, and I think it's actually reprinted in the issue. I'll have to look, look again. But, uh, yeah, there's one of them up in the air in a in a, an embrace, and she's got big, almost Tom McFarlane hair. Um, but, uh, yeah, that is that is an alternate cover. Now, I don't know if they had released any issues with that cover on it. I don't think um, – I'm not sure – All right, uh, let me move this out of the way. Synopsis for Different Worlds. And I got this from the uh, DC Fandom Wiki. Because <clears throat> I thought it was actually pretty succinct. Superman and Wonder Woman embrace and kiss. But the deer in the headlights look on Wonder Woman's face makes it clear that this is not what she had in mind. Realizing he's overstepped, Superman offers an awkward, stumbling apology. He admits that he's been thinking of her constantly since they first met, even sharing that he had an intense dream about her when she contacted him about a date. He thought she felt the same. Wonder Woman says that she has a warrior's heart, but that she also has feelings. But she's new to the man's world and still trying to figure it out. Superman offers to start over, and she agrees. So as long as he call, try, agrees to call her Diana, they fly away and talk. She tells him that... that he is like a god on earth, but he denies this, explaining that he has fought hard for his humanity, especially as his he is in fact an alien. At heart, he's a Kansas farm boy. Hermes summons Wonder Woman, and she breaks off the date, having to answer his call. Superman will not be left behind, though, and flies through the portal to Olympus after her. Arriving on Olympus, Superman finds a strange dimension. The strange dimension negates many of his abilities. Odd gravity making his flying difficulty difficult, and his supervision is highly impaired. He begins to search for Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, meanwhile, quickly finds Hermes. She asks how this has happened, and he tells her that Darkseid has invaded Olympus. Darkseid is displeased by the arrivals of Superman and Wonder Woman. His plans had so far progressed perfectly, and he doesn't want any interference. He sends images to the heroes. First, Superman encounters an amorous Wonder Woman who throws herself at him. Wonder Woman encounters an arrogant Superman. The Superman turns out to be Calabac in disguise, while the fake Wonder Woman is actually Amazing Grace. Both villains attack the heroes once their deception fails. As Wonder Woman begins attacking Calabac and Superman begins hammering away at Grace, 
That was a really poor choice of words. Um, both villains lead the heroes on a chase, uh, bringing them close to each other before vanishing. As Superman and Wonder Woman encounter each other, they attack. Darkseid is pleased that the two heroes will destroy each other as he watched the Titanic struggle. Soon, though, the battle crashes into the very room in which he stands and the heroes face him together. Superman explains the ruse. Both he and Wonder Woman realize the trick and quickly knew who it was they fought. Under the cover of battle, they search for Darkseid and finally found him. Darkseid's unconcerned by this, planning to kill the heroes, but he first explains how Olympus owes its existence to the creation of Apocalypse and New Genesis. Naturally, the guy's going to monologue. How energy from that creation struck Earth and spawned the gods. He will now take that and conquer Earth. Wonder Woman points out to him, though, that he has conquered nothing. The gods are not here. Without them, this is just a place. An angered dark side leaves, setting explosives to destroy Olympus and the heroes. But Hermes appears and tells them not to be concerned. The explosives go off, but Olympus is untouched. As Hermes explains, Olympus is eternal. He returns the heroes home. Superman is awed by what he has seen. She's a princess, a goddess. She visits Olympus and talks to gods. He's just a Kansas farm boy, and she is way out of his league. He asks that they just be friends. Wonder Woman agrees on the condition that he calls her Diana. Superman stumbles with this, but agrees to try. If she will call him Clark, they part as friends. Okay, so this story reveals that the destruction of the old world, the old gods ended with the creation of the Genesis and Apocalypse that the energy by the energy that was released, the energy that was directed towards Earth and was responsible for the creation of the Olympians. Now, as I understand it, George himself, and this is per John, JB, uh, George wasn't sanguine with his relevations that Kirby had created the Greek gods, but Byrne was able to talk him around to it. What do you guys think? He didn't... Okay, Perez didn't think that Kirby created the, or did the Greek gods exist? Obviously they existed because they were, they were in the Wonder Woman story. Mm-hmm. They existed in the DC universe. Yeah, but their, their creation was a direct result of the explosion that ended the old gods. So Perez wasn't cool with that, right. but Byrne talked him around it. Exactly, okay. yeah. I mean, this this well, is really an interesting story, and of course, it it you know it, it does something, you know, it, it gives Burn a lot of credit within the, the DC universe for uh, you know, he did this here, and he also did it in Ganthet's Tale, where he basically talks about certain creations. Um, I don't know that the history of DC universe covered that because I think it was already out by that point. So I think that uh, wasn't covered in there. Yeah, I don't know how because DC was was instead of starting kind of from scratch like Marvel because it was they were absorbing all these characters and then putting them into a kind of cohesive universe. So if in Wonder Woman she always had the gods, then they would obviously be imported into when they were she was brought into DC proper. So I don't know if it was. Uh, or are they the only, in my knowledge, DC is, is very lacking here. Do, are there like the Norse gods in DC, or is it just the Greek? Um, 
It's been uh, obviously we, the three seen, Roman gods. We've seen Thor in the DC yeah, universe. Okay. <laughs> a Thor, yeah, yeah. sort of, <laughs> an All Star Squadron. <laughs> but was he the Norse god Thor, or was he just some guy saying he's Thor? You know, I don't remember now. Uh, it's been so long ago since I read that, but yeah, and it wasn't like the Thor that, similar to Marvel, he was kind of in a skin type. Oh, more, actually, more Byrne, of a Viking era type thing. Yeah, Burn used him in the New Gods story. So no, it's actually you know Thor, son of Odin. Um, yeah, Norse god. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It took me a minute to remember that. Well. There was also a Thor doppelganger in uh, the JLI, um, Justice League International, with um, a Scarlet Witch. Yeah, that uh, was that's, that doppelganger. Was those, now those actually the those uh, I don't remember what, what 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 planet they came from, but yeah, it was uh, there was a, a a group of what like Avenger knockoffs that they had, right. and three of them, and. Um, they uh the uh, he was the thor version i can't remember his name to save my life but i mean we're we're talking about actual named actual named you know the actual norse gods you know uh uh thor and would there have been a baldar the brave or would there have been you know or, or heimdall um but yeah i mean that you be that as it's made it's just you know like what what they did before and after the crisis whereas those characters were around pre-crisis uh, and they brought him into the post-crisis world with Justice League. I, I don't ever recall them really accessing those that pantheon for stories on a regular basis or as a, anything like they did with Wonder Woman and the Greek gods. Yeah. Because they didn't have any heroes or villains that were like directly related to them in that same capacity as as Wonder Woman or as Thor over in Marvel or Hercules. Well, you know, and that's funny because in in Justice League uh, at that point, they had Ice, or at least uh, two years in, they got Ice, who, you know, is basically uh, comes off of being a Norse goddess. So you would think that they could, you know, bring, bring them in that way. But I don't know that they ever did. Well, and is this new? Because in <clears throat> in this it says that Apocalypse and New Genesis were created from the destruction of I think what he calls the old gods, like the old yeah. world, almost like the previous universe. It explodes and creates these two other planets. Right, the God way. And then and one of that bit of energy went to Earth to create the the Greek gods. But it sounds like. It well, created them on Earth, okay, but they, this, Olympus seems to be in a different plane. Here's how he described it. The God Wave was generated by the destruction of the worlds of the first gods, the oldest gods in the universe. The God Wave expanded through the nascent universe, seeding all the worlds over which it passed with the potential for gods. It then reached a point of maximum expansion, and its energies diminished. It collapsed. This second pass creating the potential for demigods, superhumans, such as we call superheroes, Back at the center, provided the energy that created the new gods. That's from Burn Robotics. Kind of like the uh, so, the whiteout event in the new universe. Yeah. Or the white event, whatever they called that. Yeah. But, I mean, well, it, it's a big bang unto itself because it expanded yeah. and contracted. Uh, yeah. So it, it already gone through that cycle. Well, and Darkseid seems to imply that the the Greek gods are lesser gods than what he considers himself. Right. Um, but 
they seem to be um, pretty all, all powerful, at least to the point where they he can't destroy their uh, Olympus. Yeah. Olympus, yeah. Olympus, yeah. And I'll and I will say this: the the when you see Olympus, that's really where Prez's art comes in because it is so detailed. I mean, it's a different type of detail than Byrne would do. This looks uh, almost photo reference. It's so detailed well, it's, and so laid out. Well, I tell you, I, just a few months before, I was at the steps of the Parthenon, uh, had gone to the Acropolis in, in Athens, and so to see all this, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, Prez's art uh, makes it look even more grandiose and austere. Yeah, and it's done like a like a, a Fleischer painting or a drawing. It's up is down, and there's no, uh, you know, he's he's often Superman is like seems to be walking on the ceiling, and when he does that, when he's trying to fly or when he when he's trying to look, he kind of it's almost like it's um, uh, oh, you know the old trope like you try to leave a room and you wind up coming into the room so that he's trying to sit. Use his telescopic vision. He just sees himself. His sees his back. So, yeah. but that later doesn't seem to affect him when he's fighting Wonder Woman. I guess he's adapted to it because he didn't seem to have the same problems. Yeah. Okay. I, I actually let's take a step back though. Um, let me ask you guys: did, did you read this when it first came out, or did you pick it up years later? As it came out. I mean, and what was your experience? Mine, of course, was I, you know, I was going to the comic book shop every week, and uh, this was at a point in time where my friends and I would actually go back to my apartment, and would all sit around and read the books that have, have come out. And so, uh, this was one of those that everybody got in their hands on. So I bought multiple copies because I knew it was going to get tore up. I, I, I own this. I don't remember if I bought it off the stand. And if I did, I read it. I, I rereading this. I didn't have a, 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 a strong memory of this. I don't remember about this story. So I don't know if because it maybe I thought he was leaving the book. It's why I stopped reading it, and I didn't pick it up. Or maybe I picked it up later and I read it, but it didn't apparently didn't hold that much of a um, didn't make that much an impression on me because I didn't I don't remember the story. I had the same experience. It didn't have that big of an impact, but there was a lot of discussion amongst my circle at the comic book shop of how it was a bait and switch from the issue before where they swoop, you know, swoop in and embrace for the cliffhanger. And everybody was terribly excited by that. And they felt betrayed by this reversal at the beginning of this issue. I mean, there was a sense like, wait a minute, that's not how it was supposed to go down. But on the other hand, I can see that. there was a segment of our, our people that were like, Bravo, that's exactly what should have happened. He was way over the line. You know, Superman was, was, you know, should take a step back, that he assumed just way too much. So it it sparked some interesting discussion about date rape, Well, although that's not in the issue. That, that, I, but, I didn't actually hear that back then. I mean, that, that, that discussion came up recently. I actually started that discussion myself on the Burn Victims Forum. And, and Facebook asking, was this, uh, you know, a, a form of, you know, harassment or, uh, yeah, or what? Yes. And, and, you know, the, there was, it, it got the same comments you get from anything all over. Half the people saying that, that, you know, it is, and he overstepped, and the other half saying it was an honest, 
you know, mistake or, you know, it's just that's the way things were back then and you should just, you know, let it go on by. Um, yeah, you know, no, I'm not it gonna... was not the way it was back then. I know. I assure I know. you. It, it, again, you know, you, different ages of people have different sensibilities and I'm not going to sit there and, and, and tell them they're stupid for that. You know, tell them they're wrong, but, you know, not that they're stupid. Um, I just accept the fact that it was a stunt. It was a lead well, up and, and a stunt and to this, sell the book. This is, and this I accept is, that. This, That's okay by me. This is a, a question that I raised or actually got raised to me um, in the Burn Victims Forum yesterday. I um, had posted an image on this and asked people about it. And one fellow out there, and let me get his uh, his name because uh, it, it is important. And I haven't gotten back up on this. This is a problem. His name is Baron Keels. Um, he said Byrne wanted to get them together. And then he says, I bet the powers that be said no. And as Steve Wilcox, who uh, moderates the that, that group, he said that he thought that Burns' storyline was actually meant to show why they shouldn't be together. That fandom wanted them together, but not Burn. And Keel said it was a direct quote from an Amazing Heroes uh, interview. Now, I haven't been able to find this, uh, this issue. Uh, he, he just got it packed away so he can't find it himself. I went ahead and went on Burn Robotics, and I've asked Burn himself, you know, what's the story here? And that was yesterday. He hasn't responded to it. He's responded to other posts by other people. I'm thinking he's probably not going to answer it. Um, typically, he'll just ignore ignore posts that he do, doesn't want to answer. Uh, if it's a question, you know, like like that, that he's just you know not interested in answering. Or it'll show up five minutes after we finish recording. It, so it may, and if it, it does, <laughs> if, if, if it does, I'll, I'll I'll state so in the in the the, the our Facebook page. And I'll respond to those guys as well on uh, the Burn Victims group. But, you know, I mean, the, the thing is, to me, this this pairing always felt like fanboy pairing. And to put them together as a couple would be fanboy writing. And that that's a term I'm going to be using a lot moving forward. And I've been using a little bit here and there. Um, I do know that, you know, in recent years, they did have storylines where Superman and Wonder Woman were a couple. And I just, again, thought that was fanboy writing. Um, I, I just didn't didn't appreciate it. Same thing with Wonder Woman and Batman being a couple. You know, it, it, that's, how that's does Lois same. feel about this? How does she figure into this? Well, and again, you know, that's 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 a really good question because isn't Lois supposed to be Superman's one true love? But again, at this time in 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 the Superman books, you know, uh, Clark had uh, uh, strong friendships. Not with just why well, he was trying, of course, with Lois, but Lois was at this point still not you know receptive to his advances. Cat Grant was very forward with Clark, but uh, you know in in Adventure Comics, and I'm not sure if it was when Marv was writing it or when Byrne was writing it. Uh, you know, they had one of those uh, sit down and talk in a, a private uh, thing, and she basically told him her entire backstory. And after that, there didn't ever seem to be any any romantic entanglements between the two. And she started going down a different road where she was more becoming more alcoholic and and such. But uh, well, that's that's what confuses me because I I couldn't remember reading the. The Superman books up to this point that he was not interested in Lois 
And so I kind of look back at some of the issues leading up to this, like, well, was there a hint? And it seemed like, to your point, that Lois, and I think Lois has always been written as the Mary Jane to his Peter Parker, that she's the one true love, and that's the one he'll always wind up with, even though it doesn't necessarily does it, mean that. Does that make Lana Lang Gwen Stacy? I guess. I don't, yeah, yeah that, but, that's, a, that's <laughs> I mean, again, you know, there was other relationships he had, Laurie Lamars, of course. I guess Laurie Lamars would be more like the Gwen Stacy since she's, you know, dead. She was um, first. And then there was, uh, I don't remember her name, the waitress in the world of uh, Metropolis. And then, of course, he had a a, um, a, a, a uh, sexual relationship with um, Amazing Grace in Adventures of Superman. And this is when Marv Wolfman was writing it. But that's all been wiped from his memory, hasn't it? I don't know if, if, the, if the actual uh, event was wiped from his memory. It's just his memory was cleared up because he didn't know... I that, thought that he, he, said he that thought or, he was Dark Side's son at that point. Right, and I thought it said that Orion had used the mother box to wipe not only restore his memory, but oh, to wipe right. out to wipe out the the memory of that he caused the death of all those. You're um, right, killing all those people, yeah. so he wouldn't feel uh, guilty on that. I think, to your point, Brian, the fanboy uh, shipping of these two is well, they're both super beings. That that makes the most sense instead of Superman being with a mortal, but. And I also see that if if management did pull the plug on this, that it, I can see why, because it might have been hard if you put them together. They're both in separate books. That's a lot of logistics, a lot of juggling storylines. Uh, you know, that could cause some problems. Yeah. But and, and, and what, to the point of the interview that uh, is in Amazing Heroes, I know that Byrne did an interview in Amazing Heroes before he actually took the reins on Superman. And if he talked about a relationship between Superman and Wonder Woman, that I think would could be his fanboy wishing of it. But as the writer, when he actually took it over, would see, no, you don't do that. So it is very possible that he said that in an interview, but at the same time, he knew that it was something that you shouldn't do. Well, I'm, to Kirk's point, I see your point, Kirk, that this is a bait and switch, but could it also be seen as, and the, this is the part of the story I like, is we see Byrne really kind of leaned into Superman's humanity. Mm -hmm. That, yes, he's, you know, more powerful than a locomotive, but he's a farm boy. He's a Kansas boy raised by two humans, so that's what he thinks he is. He thinks, yeah, he's Kryptonian, but he thinks of himself as being a human. So, he is a little awkward around women. He grew up in a small town. He probably does not have a lot of dating experience. So I think that shows when he says, "I'm you're out of my league. I'm just a farm boy, even though I can move mountains. You talk with gods. You're out of my league. I think that show, that grounds him a little more. Yeah, I, I think also if you look at it from the, the, the stance of pre-crisis and post-crisis. Yeah, the post-crisis Superman is a Kansas farm boy. The pre-crisis Superman who could, you know, inhale a sun or, you know, who he had the computer brain and uh, was, you know, definitely had a, a level of intelligence, the equivalent of Luther uh, and, and, and others, uh, you know, would be on the same plane with Wonder Woman and could, in fact, be in, in a relationship with her. Now, of course, we see the Elseworlds tales like uh, Kingdom Come, 
where it does bring them together in, in the future after the death of Lois and things have changed an awful lot. Um, but again, it's an Elseworlds tale and it's, it's one that um, kind of chips away at uh, the Superman mythos uh, in a negative way. Um, and what I mean by that is it shows a Superman who's uncertain uh, about anything. And the one thing we know about Superman is that he is certain uh, not to the point of being ruthless, but, uh, you know, to how he should use his powers and who is the good guy and who's the bad guy. He's always been able to figure that out. But uh, I guess that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I, I, just the thing with him suddenly, and maybe this is more of an infatuation. Maybe it is because he is a little naive. This is, is a... Uh, He's got like a hard crush real quick on her, and then he realizes that no. So, I mean, he does go back to Lois, right, in, in the storyline. I know Burns is kind of leaving these books, but he does go back because well, he eventually marries her. So, well, and then, uh, you know, like the thing is, is that this Diana was the, uh, the Diana formed of clay, right? And, uh, yeah. And she was bestowed all these different things by. The gods, you know, the power of Zeus, the 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 the, the intellect of Athena, the beauty of uh, Aphrodite or Venus, whichever one—I I don't know which one's which—and uh, and I mean, the thing is, any man that's in her presence is basically going to fall to their knees, professing true and absolute love to her. Uh, how could even someone like Superman be immune to that? I mean, I'm not saying it's magic, but it is magic. Well, I think that's why he's drawn to Lois, because Lois has always been a strong, independent mm -hmm. woman. And I think that's what he responds to. He doesn't want, as he says in a uh, in a story that I'm going to be releasing later, I did, um, I've got a new story time coming up. Hmm. He, uh, he says, I know that she would fall in my arms if she knew I was Superman, but I want to do it as Clark, because he thinks that's cheating. I want to oh, do yeah. it as Clark. Yeah. That seems more real. So, issue one, right? Yes, okay. issue one is Superman. Okay, sorry, didn't mean to spoil that. No. Hey, Kirk, you've been real quiet. He's still seething. No, John, no, I'm here. I'm not upset. I was just, you know, I, I'm just. It was a stunt to me, and I don't recall continuing reading the series mm. after this. I was following Burn. And I, I'm just reporting to you the, the reaction in the, the comic shop when this came out was split. Half of them were upset that it was just a stunt. The other half, you know, accepted it as, okay, this is how the story evolved. And I, I agree. I think Byrne handles it well, and they, it helps to define who Superman is. But the, the, um, the splash page cliffhanger, the issue before, totally misdirects the fan as to what's about to happen. And, and I accept it. It was a stunt, and I don't have a problem with that. Hmm. John? Well, oh, there we go. Was muted, sorry. No worries. Um, you know, I didn't read this when it came out, so I'm not a part of all of that dialogue that happened at the time. And uh, I picked it up later, and, eh, you know, it was... Um, I mean, I, I didn't view it as a stunt. I mean, to me, it just seems like that's what comics do. They they lead you with a cliffhanger at the end that 
rarely is this is what's going to happen coming up in the next book or maybe more often but sometimes not so um uh i did think it a little odd that even a kansas boy would just walk up and grab somebody and kiss her (laughs) or him you know i mean it's like i don't walk up to people on a first date and then just plant one on them i mean that's just and i don't think most people would but so it was it's a it is a little odd way to start the story but i like how it evolved and uh, how uh, because it was a burning issue or i mean i always re- i remember that dc comics presents story way back when uh, there was the the tease that hey could superman and wonder woman date why aren't they dating you know what you know why not so that you know it's it's a it's a question that has been asked in a lot of generations so it's not new and i i like how at the end it just like yeah I'd rather us just be friends because then it gets weird if we don't work out or, you know, I'm, you know, so I, I thought it was a, a good res- a good way the story evolved. Super friends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, da, da. <laughs> well, it, it, and Byrne does write Wonder Woman as, and of course, I guess at this point they kind of treat, her is being new to the world of man or to the to earth because she's kind of talks about that she's still a straight kind of estranged from emotions and she's kind of awkward as well she doesn't seem to um she doesn't seem to be upset that he that he kissed her it's just more because he immediately pulls back and realizes oh this is awkward uh and she's like, I'm just not ready for that right now. And it doesn't, she doesn't seem to be upset about it, but it's like, I'm just not ready. You know, I'm still kind of figuring out where everything is and, you know, how, how I feel about things. But, um, and it's funny that she, she's the one who says, well, you know, you're basically a demigod. And then that's, you know, leads to the tail end story where he's like, nah, I'm, you know, I'm not really, I'm not on your level. I'm just a, I'm just a What's... humble farm, Kansas farm boy. Yeah. I, I want to get into the art real quick because I, I, I know Kirk's going to have to drop here soon. Uh, one thing I did find really interesting is, you know, how at this point uh, they were taken to uh, giving Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster uh, uh, in, in, in all the books. Uh, that On Wonder Woman it says created by Charles Moulton. Now that was the pen name of William Moulton Marston. I didn't know. I don't know when they actually started putting his full name on there as a creator of Wonder Woman at one point, but I didn't realize that he had gone by the pen name all the time, all that time, even, you know, fi- almost 50 years later. Well, wasn't it time either Siegel or Schuster still alive? Yeah, they at, both yeah at, this, at this point they were still alive, yes. Yeah. And it was somewhere in the 80s when they started uh, putting the created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, created Batman, created by Bob Kane, and such uh, on, on, on all the books. And it had to do something with uh, the work that Neil Adams had done towards uh, creator rights uh, that got all that going. Now, if anybody's got different information on that, please let us know. Write it right into us. Got to get burned to gmail.com or on our Facebook page. Uh, how do you like the deer in the headlights look on, on Wonder Woman there, though, on that first first page? I think it kind of, you, I mean, it certainly conveys what it's meant to, but you can't tell if she's either shocked or, I mean, obviously she's 
Well, she, her eyes aren't closed. So I don't think she's enjoying it. And and you know the irredeemable shag would be asking the question, you know, tongue. <laughs> 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 Again, the shag would be asking that, not me. <laughs> of course, not me. <laughs> well, I thought her reaction was good because the last issue ended so abruptly, so unexpectedly on that. Um, what do you, what's the word that I want? John, you had the right term for it, mashing on or, or uh, you know, just. Planting I think her reaction was well drawn. I mean, the fact that her eyes are open communicated volumes to us opening this book for the first first time is like aha it's all on him he's it's she's not into it now if that's what i took it's from it. interesting to note you know right beneath that is the credits for the book and unusually they've got the assistant editor credit in the book renee witterstatter who of course would be his editor on uh, she hulk later but uh i it's kind of interesting that they would have that, and I'm wondering if they used her and others to f- make sure that the woman's perspective wasn't trampled on. But that's just a, 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 a you know, I noticed well, that. Well, and to, to look at this through the, the today's lens versus Ooh, yeah. 1988, uh, he, of course, you wouldn't do that today, but he assumes her sexual preference. He assumes she likes men. That's why he kisses her, as opposed to well, she may not like men. She may like women. She, come, she may not identify that way at all. She comes so, from an island of all women. Yeah. I mean, uh, absolutely. So, and they, that may be more, I mean, that may be a story they might lean into today. As How opposed much of to that just, does he know at this point? That she comes from an island of Amazons? Uh, Mindy Mayer, as I understand it, uh, her paper had been publishing a lot about Wonder Woman basically working as their as her uh publicist or publicist publicist. i think that that at least that part of it was was out there and of course many 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 men were writing in trying to find out where is this island (laughs) i I got a boat (laughs) that was left out of the synopsis that they have a little one-page interlude where they are publishing the story saying superman and wonder woman are in love and and her as her assistant editor or somebody says, well, you, you know, that's a lie. You can't do it. It's like, well, I don't know. It's a lie for sure. You know, I'm going to publish it, you know, publish it anyway. Yeah. Now, uh, in these upcoming pages, uh, there are a couple gaffes. Um, I think there's times when Wonder Woman's lasso is not, uh, colored. Um, but there's also a really it's just very odd the first, the the second page when you see superman looking at wonder woman and he's got her there the bottom left hand corner wonder woman's frame just looks a little odd her legs look almost out of place and part of it's cuz of the placement of the lasso but it just makes the biology look off a little bit doesn't it yeah a little bit i can see yeah, the hip looks a little push back a little bit yeah now the uh the image of up, up above of superman kissing her and her eye open is that the same image and then just gone outward or did he draw it three times because i i've noticed how he how he does that and he did that in alpha flight where he would draw one image and then he would move in or move out and you can oh, tell, you. you can tell because the lines get get 
thicker as you see the uh, the close-up of it. I think he drew it three times. I don't see okay. him using those techniques at this at this time in 1988. Wasn't that when this came out? Yeah, but just in a year or two earlier, uh, in Alpha Flight, he did that same thing with Smart Alec when he looked into Shaman's bag. And it was multiple panels of the same image, and he just closed in on it. And you could tell because the line got thicker and thicker. Hmm. Okay. But the, the line's not so thick in that first panel. He, he could have taken, obviously he would have drawn the, the far right panel, taken like a photostat, blown it up, then cut it out and pasted it, uh, physically pasted it in here. But uh, if he did redraw it, it is, it is very close to exactly the same. Yeah, they, all, they all are exactly the, the same. Yeah. I'm inclined to think it's a, it's a blow up. Yeah. He could have done that and just, he could have blown up his pencil. If you look at at Diana's locks of hair around her earrings, it'd be so hard to to maintain that. Well, if he he blew up pencils and pasted it and Perez penciled over or inked over it, then the lines wouldn't necessarily be any thicker. True, true. He could adjust for that, so. I mean, it just saves time. It does, I mean, it's not like cheating. It's just to make it saves time. No, no, it conveys a particular idea. Yeah. It's more cinematic. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it, it, as I noticed before, when Perez is inking Burn Superman, he is not making him look like the Perez Superman, especially in the face. If you look on the next page, that face is a lot uh, a lot different from Perez. But, of course, Diana is the Perez, you know, Diana. Yeah, I see burn around his eyes and, and mouth. I see burn Superman, and like I said, certainly in all the layouts, his body, the position he's got the the characters in, the way he's he's laid them out, that's very burn like the panel the panel situation. I gotta say, this um, area where they're they're at for their first meeting is really uninspiring and <laughs> not pretty. Dead trees and patches of snow but it just doesn't look like you know first date kind of place to go the trees are dead it's winter time well yeah i mean i mean mean, that's what i mean you know there's no leaves on the trees and all that i mean this is like taking a a, a rich girl to shakey's for dinner (laughs) and it's breath they've got condensation leaking out of their their mouths Doing that constantly. Yeah, that's a Perez trick. I don't know if Burn put that in. I, I don't think Burn's Perez. ever done that. Yeah. I know. I love the I love the uh, side by side on page five. You can definitely see the difference and uh, styles of John Byrne Superman on the left and George's Wonder Woman on the right. Um, yeah, that's really really cool to see these two people. These two artists who are so phenomenal working together, and you get to see both of their distinctive styles uh, in the same comic, and one's not overpowering the other. I just think that's really cool. And on, on page six is a very, what I would call, and to me it's a, almost a throwback to Crisis, because it's got that red skies look to it where Hermes is appearing. And that right there just completely makes me think of Crisis on Infinite Earths whenever, like, Batman or The Flash or somebody would appear through somebody to somebody else. With Kirby Crackle? Yeah, with the the, the Perez-style Kirby Crackle. 
Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a Perez panel there. And using the uh, the the red ink or the, the more of a it's probably a magenta uh, ink to ink the whole figure as opposed to inking it in black and then coloring it feels more. Maybe that's the colorist, but that feels more Perez than Byrne. Well, I don't ever remember Byrne doing that. It almost looks like a surprint because if you look down at the ground below, the ground below is all like gray or more of a sandy color. Yeah, I've got kind of a flat, sandy beige. Flat, yeah, flat looking color. It's kind of interesting the way they did that. And I love in the bottom panels, one room breaks off to go to it, how she's got the red glow on her. Glow. Yep. Except her one leg is, miscol- is not colored at all. Colored, but that's a burn pose right there with her kind of yeah. leaping. Uh, and the same with and the same with on the next one. He's going it, through it's weird. whatever this is. It's really weird because it gives her legs the look like they kicked off of something, but she's just flying. It's true. I would think that you think her legs would be together, but they're kind of they're kind of akimbo in the the panel above, you know. So maybe that's her being uh, whatever this thing. It's almost like a boom tube, but it's not. It's a yeah, teleportation. It's a, it's a transwarp conduit. It's a, That's yeah, what it's it is. A, yeah, portal. <laughs> now I I love on this next page that third panel where Superman is like all twisty and everything, and we've seen Byrne do images like that going all the way back to his very first work at Marvel, the 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 in the Dracula book, where the guy gets all twisted up like that. And I'm always wondering, is it just him doing pencils or is he doing pencils and using some process to twist and and strain it? I think make... that's just his pencils. At this point, they couldn't... Nowadays, you could do it, easily do it in Photoshop. I think that's just him because he loves to draw kind of a... You know, he has almost two levels. He's got a, his detailed standard look and then he has almost like... Some of draw characters and almost a a caricature comical way yeah that doesn't yeah. look realistic and, and, and i think this is a style going back to the previous page and this page here with all that stuff going around is that would you really call that kirby crackle or is it something else well it's you're right it's a trademark um of per- um, Perez crisis yeah. technique that that was currently in vogue but i think the term is kirby crackle whenever you have that sort of a staccato um energy representation yeah yeah, yeah but it's yeah. absolutely you're absolutely on the mark when you say it's crisis related yeah i was going to say in the distorted panel there on page seven uh, you don't need photoshop to do that all you need is a uh, a cardboard tube like a uh, from a paper towel and a sheet of aluminum foil to create a mirror to wrap around it put it next to a piece of drawing and you can have anamorphic art. You have the distorted image that you can then draw for yourself. If you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's, yeah. and I was wondering if he'd done something. Because I'd seen him do this kind of art over the years, and I didn't know if he just drew it or if it was a process like what you just stated there. Because that sounds I logical. mean, that's, that's a very crude kid's version. You can do the same thing with a, a chrome-colored coffee pot or carafe or, or something sitting next to your artwork to to distort it and then draw from what, what you see but yeah. I agree it's like, it's, it's like a it's funhouse a, mirror exactly good term okay next page turns everything all around upside down inside out and wraps it up in an enigma that's when that's what you really get hit in the face with Perez's his detail especially when all these 
grid columns and all of the, uh, the, the the architecture, and still being kind of stands out because one it is it's mostly whites and grays because it's all marble. The only thing that, that blue and red stands out. The only thing that's non Perez is the fact that you know you only have one character there. Well, <laughs> because normally with Perez, he's, he'd he's have thirty different characters, so you can all tell who they are. Yeah, but he's making it up by drawing every single little piece. Yeah. And uh, especially even on that top corner on the next page where he's kind of – it's very Fleischer-like. He's he's um, walking down steps, I guess, and he's got these columns that are going 90 degrees, and he discovers that gravity doesn't quite work here. And uh, sorry, I'm, I'm just enamored of these pages. They're all just gorgeous. And of course, you see um, Superman trying different things, trying to use his X-ray vision and seeing himself from behind, which I thought was really, really cool. And the detail on that page, and of course, Superman on the side—it's just gorgeous. And then, of course, you see Wonder Woman, and she seems to be in the dirty underbelly of it all. And everything okay? Yeah, my uh, wife, uh, wife just came in. Uh, and then uh, you see Wonder Woman, of course, finding Hermes. And it's so weird to see, you know, a quote-unquote god uh, pretty messed up. You think with, with Olympus being eternal that they would be eternal too in that way. But uh, Well, did they not... not to jump to the end, but do they ever explain why there are no gods here? They're all gone? Uh, in the story, they I thought they did. I'm sitting there, I was looking at something else. I mean, because if you read the Wonder Woman book itself, um, there's a lot of, of uh, and that's got Bruce Patterson doing the inking on it. Um, you know, the, 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 that this kind of imagery is just always, you know, the Olympus type imagery is, is utilized a lot. Uh, where they had gone. Why was it Hermes? Why was Hermes the person to call to her? Is there some significance? I wasn't reading Wonder Woman at this time. Why him instead of somebody else? Juno or or Zeus or anybody else? Because Hermes well, was the messenger of the gods. Yeah, I think that's it. And that kind of makes him not the, not the, how, how do you say it, the least of the gods? Because he's kind of like the servant of the gods. Okay. Well, you know, as I was reading this, and we get to uh, page ten, where she she uh, opens up the the cell door, I was very suspicious that he wasn't Hermes. I was very suspicious that she was releasing somebody who had been imprisoned, who was trying to trick her. But as quickly as the last panel, when we see Darkseid... Yeah, but Darkseid looks so... I mean, this is a Darkseid... I mean, even with Legends, which had been out what, a year or so before, Darkseid hadn't looked like this. Um, he, he's made he's given this look a little bit more roundness to it um, that that had me wondering, okay, is this really... Is this really Darkseid? Darkseid. Um... It, you know, I mean, it, again, it's impressive, and it, it's probably the combination of Burn and Perez making this. But uh, the image of Darkseid is just um, uh, is different, and and of course he's got that kind of 
pinkish gray hue to his arms and belt that um, always threw me off. I, I always thought it should be like a darker, just solid gray, but. Uh... Well, in that lower panel on 10, it looks like they're both channeling Kirby and doing Darkseid's face because we don't get, because the, on the opposite page on 11, that's at least the body wise, that's very burned the way he had been drawing him. Yeah. And same with the sod is kind of this thin, emaciated, kind of Weasley guy. <laughs> I kind of like his look. It's not like it's not like a uh, uh, look of pleasure, but kind of a look of uh, like relief. <laughs> like this is going to be good. <laughs> Well, I, I guess we forget that at this point, because he mentioned that they had just, this is after Legends. So he mentions that these are the two, you know, at least with one woman, the woman that, that went up against him in, during the Legends story, that there we now think there's this long history between all these characters, but at this point, they're pretty new. They're relatively new to each other. Mm-hmm. I love on page 12, just the, that middle panel, the face of dark side though. It's just, uh, I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit the of block, block from the Legion in the nose. Yeah. The tight, tight shot of the eyes. That's an old Kirby trick yep. that, uh, yeah. Burn has, has taken over. Well, yeah. And even the first image of dark side is a very Kirby esque image. I mean, all, all the, all the images of him and Desaad are, are Kirby esque, I think. Um, I really like in, in um, what page is that? Page 11, in the bottom right-hand corner, when he's sitting there looking at Wonder Woman on the monitor, it's just a look of Wonder Woman herself um, in the monitor. It's, it's just, I mean, again, this, these are gorgeous pages. Uh, Kirk, is that are you saying you have to leave? Yeah, I've got to wrap it up. I'm, I'm just going to drop out in a minute or two here, but keep going, guys. Right. I've got a prior commitment. Well, take care. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Kirk. All right. All right. Um, Go ahead. Pa well, page twelve, where where we kind of get in his little dark signs, little little scheme of of fooling the two. Uh, I thought both, I guess, Bert and Perez did a good job of of showing the difference between when you have actual Superman and then oh yeah, the the posture, the the, the, yeah. the expressions, yeah, everything. You get a good job of just showing the difference between the two, uh, and it's. That's also typical burn storytelling, the way he's got two parallel stories going at the same time yep. um, until they kind of and then he even carries it over because uh, and it's also kind of ties in when, when I love that top of page 14, you get Superman who's being kind of uh, hit on by fake Wonder Woman. Turn the tables like, on him. Whoop. Now he knows yeah, how like, it feels. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> she's like. Well, aren't I everything you want? And he's like, well, wait a minute. And then you've got this kind of menace, almost menacing-looking Superman uh, in the next page. He looks a little harsher, and he's got kind of a smirk on his face. And that's when, uh, you know, so we get one one of them gets kissed, and one of them gets back slapped. So, <laughs> um, and then we had a great we had, we got a lot of good dark side talking heads, and, and this is the, ex laugh. the explanation of it all. Of, yeah. the, of the Godway and, and his, everything. 
And is this is new, right? This part is something Byrne has come up on his own. Right. Is that right? Right. Yeah. And as far as, you know, basically as post-crisis goes, this is the the explanation of it all. And the editors were all cool with it. And George Perez was eventually brought around and said, okay, yeah, yeah, that works. Hmm. Well, top of page 17, Brian, there's your 50 characters. Oh, yeah, there you go. That he's done. <laughs> Yeah, that that is really an amazing for the, being a half a page panel. He's got more like a third, but yeah, right, yeah, yeah, third. But he's got maybe twelve, fourteen characters in there, all done with a lot of detail. Uh, they're all kind of monocolor. They almost drawn like they're statues. Yep. And then as we get to the the next page, you see Superman kind of hello. getting into it and realizing, no, 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 no. Hey, not. guys. Hey, hello. Yeah. On the, I wanted to get this before you moved on. On the pictures of the gods, uh, do you think Byrne laid that out? Or do you think he just opened it up and said, hey, George, the, these are the Olympians. Draw what you want. Yeah. Because that looks so much like a, even a George yeah, Perez Yeah, I mean, it, 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 is, it is Perez-based character. So he probably just did the layout itself. Of, of that, because that looks like a burn layout, the way it's angled and everything. I could see burn doing that. Yeah, and then, he could have said, yeah, and then yeah. kind of like stick figures, like John Basima would do, you know. Uh, <laughs> and then Paris would come behind and fill it in how he liked. And that statue of Darkseid that he's got his his parademons erecting that reminds me of one of those they had in the. Uh, the first Justice League story that George Perez did, which was uh, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> the J- well, it's funny because they showed them yeah. showed them carving that in an earlier panel. You saw them carving the face of that. Yeah. And I guess they just now. Well, I, I got a question here because I don't have Mike in my knowledge on Dark Side is limited. He says it was at one point. He says it was before I took over Apocalypse. So was he not always the ruler? Of apocalypse? No, he was uh, one of the regular guys. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I've got my uh, Jack Kirby's Fourth World uh, omnibus, and I keep meaning to pull it out and read it, but I just haven't had time. And so, but I did years ago take a quick scan of the backstories when I was uh, uh, going through my issues of it, and in the backstories of Jack Kirby's Fourth World was the origin. Of Dark Side, though it wasn't telling you that it was the origin of Dark Side. It took many issues before you actually realized, oh, that's what this is. That's who that guy is. So it's like Galen from the previous universe going through his steps right. to become Galactus. You saw this okay. guy go through his steps to become Dark Side and his brothers, and yeah. So there's there's a there's backstory there to read, and I don't recall it all, so I'm gonna have to go back and and read that. I think uh, I think we'll be covering Legends sometime soon, so I'm going to want to get a little bit more of Dark Side in my uh, my repertoire. But the uh, the I love on page was it 19, where you see um, Superman has already figured out that it's Amazing Grace that he's got there. And Wonder Woman has figured out, has seen now that she's fighting Calabac. But how the the costume and the image on Amazing Grace Wonder Woman changes. So the top half is a miscolored Wonder Woman, and the bottom half is is Amazing Grace. Well, her yeah, her tiara is also 
red, so she's in mid. Yeah, and and it's it's all part of their their ruse to put them against each other uh, at the bottom of page nineteen, which is where they finally come together and see each other. But you know, again, they've been going up against those uh, duplicates or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. And then we get. I do like at top of nineteen, uh, Super Wonder Woman's uh, Kurt style axe handle punch to Calabac. Yep. <laughs> she did the same thing to uh, uh, Mongol in that for the Superman it has everything. I think I could be wrong. I think I am wrong. But the next page is the interlude, of course, where we see Mindy Mayer and her uh, cohorts talking about the date between Diana and Superman. And these are characters out of the Wonder Woman's book, right? Yeah. Yep, and then we go uh, chapter four there on the next page, which shows the two of them battling in Darkseid, showing Desaad, see how smart I am. I got them fighting each other. Do you, do you get a Colossus gladiator feel from him well, hitting her with that column? Well, they got the columns there. It, it would be more more of that if he was like hitting him from above, hitting her from above. But actually, it should have been her hitting him from above. So, yeah. I, I mean, I think Byrne consciously made an effort not to reproduce that image. I mean, it would have been so easy to do it. Yeah. Have her hitting him over the head and have him just standing there. Yeah, and now these next three pages are Battle Royale, Superman, Wonder Woman, smashing up all the Dark Side's, uh, uh, you know, remakes there. And, I mean, they're just people with a plan. But this is just, you know, some pretty, pretty gorgeous stuff. That you real you don't realize until later is is them actually doing doing this with a goal. And uh, in the yeah, you don't get it. Yeah, and yeah, and it's go, go ahead. But in the center is Dark Side observing it all and enjoying it. You almost see him, you know, pull out some popcorn. <laughs> but well, and what's great about that is he's got three panels, and by the third one, you can kind of see that he's like, wait a minute, yeah, something is. That's when they break into wherever their control room right, and he's, or whatever he's it is almost that one panel. breaking the fourth wall by looking down at that but but before yep. that I love on that uh, it's on what page is that 23 where she hits him with the brazier and you see Superman all covered in flame and everything and he's got that red uh, red you know burning look to him of course you know she messed up mm-hmm. his cape once again man he just got that fresh one from Mark Kent last issue too. Because well, he had a hot, I a question had a hot on this. date, they, you know. Uh, we know that they are they are pretending to yeah. fight. Cause they want to get closer. They're looking for Darkseid the whole time. They're pretending to fight, and that's when they break into his control room or whatever it is. Well, at the end when he sets the explosives and detonates it and the explosion goes off but then Hermes says well uh, Olympus is eternal and you right. can't can't just do anything you can't hurt right. it well, wouldn't that prevent them from because they do a fair amount of damage destroying all of these columns would that apply to that as well yeah but I, I don't think it's you know I mean yeah you, I, I mean it raises a good question I mean it looks like it blows it up and then it reforms I don't know how quick right 
that was. So I, I you, you could see them destroying all that stuff to get to where they are. But, you know, if you look on uh, page 26, not nah, the rubble's still there down at the bottom, but it looked like it already repaired itself up at the top. True. I still like... But I'll snap back, I guess. Yeah, the uh, page 25 is that one full single page where it starts a new chapter 5, this hollow victory. But the look on Superman's face, you know, pretty much says it all. Yep, exactly what we wanted to do. Yeah. And, and starting with this this chapter, I see a little more burn come through. It almost looks like he might have done some inking himself, or maybe he did tighter pencils and yeah, especially on Superman's face on Desaad. Not all of it, but I just see a little more burn peeking through. But yeah, and, and Wonder Woman is the is the the, the one image that, that was handled mostly by Perez. I mean, all the yeah. the three Superman, Desaad, Dark Side. And uh, everything around has a, a, a heavy set of definition where Wonder Woman seems to be less handled. I, you know, like like Paris just did, you know, the basic work on it, but that was about it. And what has she got in her hand there? Oh, that's but that's in the brazier. Okay, she's still messing around with that. And her her lasso should be like glowing golden, but it's just back there. You can barely tell. It's one of the things I was pointing out earlier. Yeah, it's getting mixed in with the brazier core, uh, cable, I think. Yeah. So that's probably you know Tom Zuko there more than anything else. But um, and then the the bottom of page twenty six that is such a Kirby expression there of Dark Side. That I mean that looks like it was ripped right from the cover of the Hunger Dogs. Mm-hmm. And see so now I got to go look at that to make sure I'm right. You know. Well, when. Wonder Woman tells him, basically, uh, you know, look around you. This place is deserted. You know, you really think you could take it if they were going to stand against you? And it kind of shows Darkseid being kind of an idiot. It's like, well, did you not? You just kind of moved in and set up your stuff. Did you not once think that why is there nobody attacking me? Why is nobody defending this place? That's the arrogance of, of, of I guess, yeah. unless he thought that they all fled when he showed up. They were. They fled in terror, so he thought he took over. But um, which is, yeah, she says it's his arrogance. Yep. Now, and man, her on um, page twenty-seven. I mean that that right there, the 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 right panel is just so Perez. Yeah, very different than the way Byrne was doing. Her would do it later. Yeah. When he did, or, uh, right. and then of course you get that great detailed of Olympus at the bottom, which I can't tell if it's on, a, on an asteroid or on a cloud. Uh, it's like Asgard, you know, in yeah. MCU. I, I really like on page 28, you know, Burns done the Superman and Wonder Woman in, in relief, and Darkseid screaming like Kirk yelling Khan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> but God. but that image of Darkseid down at the bottom that's almost skull like, you know this is this is such a beautiful page. This, I think this is my favorite page in the whole book, considering there are really no backgrounds, which is really bizarre. But I really love that look. And the only time that Darkseid actually uses his Omega Force is on a parody. Well, he's, I guess he was going to be using it on Desad, but Desad ducked, jumped. 
can you can could someone like to sad dodge omega beams i don't know i mean i don't know how fast i mean superman has outrun them yep so yep. but uh again you know dark side and and Desad leave uh and superman's like okay olympus is doomed and there's like ah don't worry about it hermes is like no nah, no nah, don't 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 worry and it just reforms and they say olympus is uh eternal go home we're good and then they have their final conversation where it is, you know, just like, yeah, well, I've got all this fighting out of me, so I'm, I'm not, you know, really feeling like going out on a date at this point. We'll just be friends, right? I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, they got, you know, all their their lead-up passion. I mean, because Diana was having thoughts, you know, she was at least curious about Superman in that way leading up to the story. It wasn't like she wasn't feeling like he was feeling. She was. And and so yeah, in, in hearing about this you know, made her curious. She just kind of was a little bit more reserved on it and and didn't necessarily own up to the embarrassment of what he owned up to in saying that he had a rather intense dream, however you want to interpret that. Yeah. Yeah, that was that might have been a little far for Byrne to put that in there. Well, he was trying to show his awkwardness in in the situation, yeah. and that, that's pretty that's pretty awkward. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, I mean, this was a great, great story, especially in the Byrne era of Superman. It uh, it hit on all the kind of notes that you want to see a Superman story to show because one of the things that that in in my mind it happened post-crisis to Superman with the burn revamp and everything was that Superman's universe got very small. It just seemed to be, you know, stuck in Metropolis and with those characters. And I understood Marv Wolfman and burn wanting to establish those local characters, but they hadn't established that wide swath of, of, of characters that would be affected by Superman um, over the, you know, the course of, of the years that he, he is who he is. And this is supposed to be a few years into Superman's, uh, uh, you know, career. I don't know if it's five years, if it's on the sliding scale, but it's still supposed to be a few years in. And yet, up to this point, his universe had seemed kind of small. What do you all think? John? Did I lose you guys? I'm sorry, I'm just bleeping out. What was the question? Well, I, I was just saying that, you know, uh, up to this point, Superman's universe post-crisis, it seemed kind of small. You know, it was it was relegated to the local characters in the Daily Planet and, you know, maybe Batman. There was no Justice League. for I mean, Superman was not a part of the Justice League. And so his universe was small and Superman wasn't this big, wide, sweeping character known the universe wide as the most powerful man there is or, well, you know, whatever he was. This story kind of opened up the doors a little bit. Yeah. And and, and yeah, no, I, I like how it was. Um, I mean, it was expanding and kind of stepping into the shared universe again, which was nice. I mean, I, I I'm not a continuity freak where everything has to be so interconnected. I know some people are, but I'm not. I, I kind of like a loosely shared universe so that things can happen, but they don't have to necessarily affect every other book or character. So I did like that this was 
expanding Superman's or the universe of DC after you know the post-crisis one, mm-hmm. and getting us into the the relationships that I was used to, you know, where they were friends and we had friendships and they worked together, interacted um, together. Um, I, I didn't like the the loss of the friendship between Batman and Superman, but that is what it is. But I did like that they were creating these these other relationships for him with with people on his level. I mean, he needs to have you know colleagues and and interactions with people like that uh, to uh, um, to balance Clark and to the relationships of Clark. So I think Superman needs to have that as well. So I liked it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it, they were doing a, pardon the pun, but a slow burn <laughs> on introducing Superman to the wider world. And that's what I liked about uh, when he was doing action comics and was basically Marvel team up. Yeah. But it was Superman and somebody else because he, he got to meet these other heroes that expanded his, uh, his, 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 uh, like his link. Then profile, you know, he had more connections to other people, and this uh, this story was was one woman is kind of helping establish the Trinity. Although to your point, John, he's not, you know, it's not pre-crisis buddy buddy Batman, but there's a grudging respect there, mm-hmm. and then he has seems to have the same thing here with one woman. So there's your Trinity right there, um, and Superman it does it. It points out that he is still a little naive. You know, he is a a guy from Kansas who. Up until he became Superman, he was doing a lot of street level stuff. Yeah, he went up against Luther, but to your point, Brian, that's mostly in Metropolis, and he was dealing with Metropolis problems. Yeah, but yeah, it was a, it was a step in the right way to kind of and and not to jump right into it and say oh, this is big vast world. It's almost like we get introduced to the world as Superman gets introduced to us. We get to go along for the ride. Well, and then the other thing was, you know, when Marv Wolfman was doing Adventures of Superman, um, aside from the whole Korak storyline, which I just was completely uninterested in, all of his subplots dealt with street-level stuff, uh, insanely street-level stuff. You know, Jose Delgado and the Gangbuster storyline, um, Jerry White... Perry's, um, well, I say Perry's son, but Perry raised him. But he's actually, a spoiler for 35-year-old comic stuff, uh, he's actually the son of Lex Luthor and Perry's wife. Uh, and, wow, and, didn't know that. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you if you read it, the, the Adventures of Superman issues, and when they show Jerry in, in the storylines that he's in, you can tell just by the look of him that he's like, Lex Luthor with hair, <laughs> and it was—it was just like, okay, this is really bizarre. And Luther himself was definitely showing interest in what was going on with Jerry, so he knew. Uh, it's just that Perry didn't know, not at that point. And things for Jerry didn't go very well, so we'll just leave it at that. Now, this, of course, was an eighty-page giant, and that story was only what thirty-two pages. So there's a lot of other stuff. We're not going to go over everything else and what happened, but we can, you know, sit there and talk about a couple of things in there. Mainly, uh, there was a bunch of poster images in there. Um, I see like Art Adams and who's this other person that uh, worked on that image? 
Ed Medley. I don't. I don't know. Familiar yeah, with him. Yeah, I've got it in my notes here, and I just got to go back and look at that. Um, but uh, yeah, and then of course there's that gorgeous, gorgeous image done by John Bogdanov of Superman taking a child out of a building on fire. And of course, well, there's a great, there's a there's also a great Mike Zek. Uh, pin up in here and too. the Kevin McGuire one that's very Christopher Reeve uh, yeah. um, and some early Mike Magnolia in the back yeah the the, the man bat the man bat and that yeah. leads into like the next issue of, of uh, Superman that Magnolia would actually do the artwork on and Roger Stern I think did well, the story and there's this uh, and then the rest some have this nice artwork. They're all drawn. They're all written by Byrne, but they're all by different artists. Well, Roger Stern actually uh, wrote the, the like the uh, Man Bat. Well, he, he wrote some of this, but yeah, the yeah John Byrne wrote the story on between Maggie Sawyer and Luther, and Dick Giordano's studio did the did the artwork. Well, yeah. Dick Giordano and, and uh, John Beatty. That's the only one that. Uh, really has long-lasting percussion because it establishes Luther is um, he's getting radiation poisoning from his kryptonite ring, which he will later lose his hand. Yeah, well, I mean, they say at the end, I'm afraid it's going to likely to cost you your hand. So yeah. they, they talk about that. I think that yeah. was already it was removed by the end. Um, the Jimmy, okay, so yeah, John Byrne did write the Jimmy Olsen. Oh, he wrote the, he gave the plot, but Roger Stern wrote the script. And uh, Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson, or as they call him, Swanderson, uh, did the artwork in there. Uh, <laughs> and then you got that great Mike Zek. Uh, wow, that uh, that Man Bat story, that's right, with Hawkman coming in, that was really, really brief. But I remember yeah, that, it's not very long. that uh, the Superman story in the issue after is like a like a blood fever or something that he goes through and he has this whole vision of stuff that happens on Krypton. I thought that was uh that was well, interesting. Well with this one with the Hawkman I and I haven't read the stories coming after it, but I'd read that there was some problem with who this was supposed to be. This was supposed to be the original Carter Hall or Cater Hall or Yeah. And they retconned it later, it was somebody else because of what was going on in his own book. I know Hawkman has got a very convoluted history. I've I've never read any Hawkman, but I I just what I've been told. Was, it's very... was Rob Liefeld in Mike Minola's studio? Because the legs and feet on Hawkman on that last page look a lot like something. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It does look a little bit like um, everything. The rest of it looks very uh, Minola. Very Magnolia, yeah. But that, that yeah, that just that's that's so weird. But again, you could just put it up to Superman having that 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 blood fever, or or whatever whatever it is. And yeah, the next issue, uh, eighteen, is where Superman just has that whole whole thing, and and the artwork in there was done by uh, uh, Magnolia and uh, Carl Kessel. Yeah. We also get a great Simonson pinup in the back. Oh yes, Superman that's, and Brainiac. That is just the most gorgeous, and it makes you wonder why are we not getting Brainiac? 
why is there yeah. not? And I think, you know, because he let Marv Wolfman write the first Brainiac story, Wolfman kind of cheesed up the idea of Brainiac, you know, tying him up with that Milton Fine guy, which, of course, Milton Fine is a name from Three Stooges, isn't it? Uh, Dr. Howard, Dr. Maybe. Fine, Dr. Howard. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, actually, it was Larry Fine. But uh, for some reason, that always made me think of the Three Stooges. But, oh, I love that image of Brainiac, you know, that he's got there. And That is something else for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, aside from the Burn Paris art, this is the best artwork in the whole book. In my, in my opinion, though I do like the uh, Kevin McGuire, Christopher Reeve homage, and I've checked, kept checking from time to time to see if Byrne had responded to my question, but sadly, sadly, no response. Um, now, I like I said, I did ask the Burn Victims Forum if you know to talk about their experience, you know, reading this. And I got some that were good, and more, mo most of them were just people talking about how great it was. But it, the thing that was interesting is that, and while the Burn Victims usually has people in pretty much our age range, not many of them were really talking about buying it when it first came out. Francesco Vanagali, I guess very Italian fellow, uh, I first read this many years ago after the original release, yet it was obvious that this was something huge. Because the most loved, respected creators from that era joined forces to give us an amazing tale. I mean, we're talking about Byrne and Perez. Whatever they did was popular. They deserved to be the men behind Superman's Golden Anniversary, which was my favorite Superman anniversary for those interested. I recently translated this book for the Italian market, and I felt at least a bit like I was part of the legendary comic book. That's really, really cool. Thanks. Thank you. That's cool. Um... I, I still have my little, uh, I think I got it at one of my comic shops, a little pin that says 50 years. It's DC and it's 50 years. I got the, the, um, the Time magazine still in a sealed bag somewhere with that horrible text yeah. on it, but still, you know, gorgeous. Uh, Burn and I believe Kessel did the inks on it, or no, it was Ordway, did the inks on the, uh, the cover of Time. And then that image on the inside, I think, was also, also Ordway. I could be wrong, though. Um, says he's 50. Yeah. Listen to this. Andrew Farrago. I wasn't buying the Superman books regularly, but this obviously jumped out at me and I couldn't pass it up. Love the Burn Paris combo, the Mignola Batman story, the Kurt Swan segment. Great issue. And uh, that's pretty much all the, the... I mean, most of them are just, oh, love this, you know, that kind of thing. Not, not a whole lot of great comments. But I only put uh, put my request there for people's ideas yesterday, so I can't really... Uh... Okay, give time to... Yeah. You get more comments when we, we get this out. I'll, I'll do a... Uh, uh, I can do a teaser so that if you're listening to this, you, the show was already out, but I'll put a teaser out. Yeah, well, I mentioned that we we're that we we're going to be doing it coming up soon, I think, and put the image, of course, of Action 600 on there. Um, I'm going to change subjects here, if I can find that uh, that screen I was on. I found a movie, and I, I mentioned it a couple years back, uh, a movie starring Eric Roberts 
came out in 1990 called The Ambulance. You guys familiar with this movie? No, not at all. Uh, no, there's a new one called The Ambulance out yeah, now. Yes, so actually there's several movies over the years either called The Ambulance or just Ambulance. And this one, uh, definitely like a B movie, but it had a, an amazing cast list because... Again, well, Eric Roberts, not the biggest star, obviously the brother of Julia Roberts, and he got nominated for Academy Award for his work in the, the Pope of Greenwich Village, and, and you know he did some other things, but he's kind of fallen off the, the beaten path of regular Hollywood stars. But James Earl Jones actually is in the movie as a, a police officer, a detective, that... Um, that Eric Roberts works with. Now, Eric Roberts' initials are JB. And he's a penciler at Marvel Comics, or at a comic book company, working for Stan Lee. And Stan has actually a decent role in this movie, where he's his editor, and he's constantly talking to him about his work and everything. And Stan's actually acting this, probably the most uh, dialogue he's had in the movie, except for maybe Mallrats, you know? Um, yeah. But also in this movie is uh, Gene Colan, uh, Jim Salakrup, uh, who, there's one other, oh, Larry Hama is in there, oh. and I think Ernie Chan is in there, but he's not credited, or there's a there's an Asian guy in there, they call Ernie as he's walking through the office, but they never say who he is, and I can't find him in the credits. But uh, yeah, Jim Salakrup is in there, and Larry Hama, and... Um, Gene Colan um, are, are, are in the movie with, with bit parts. Uh, and Janine Turner, I think, is probably, aside from James Earl Jones, the, 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 the best-known uh, character in this. And she's like the, the, femme, the, the victim, uh, should, should we say, in the movie. And then Eric Braden uh, from soap operas is, uh, is the bad guy in the movie who apparently is going to uh, use her to try to come up with a uh, experiments to cure diabetes. But you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. I take it it takes place in New it York? It takes place in New York, yes. And, and oh yeah. my God, Eric Roberts has got the most outlandish mullet. Uh, just, just... <laughs> that was the time. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah, it is so 1990s. Uh, Red Buttons is also in it. And it, again, it's it's an hour and a half. It's available on YouTube to watch. So you could just put it on and, you know, check out until Stan comes on screen. And you see the, uh, the, the bullpen as it is, just a lot of artists at easels drawing, you know, drawing artwork like they're being slaved. To, to do this and Eric Roberts comes in and draws a panel and they use Gene Colan's um, uh, pencils for any art that they actually show you and uh, they that's wild weren't they must have done some kind of deal with Marvel like hey can we film in your offices and you guys can be in it well it wasn't filmed in Marvel's offices it was obviously a mocked up office one room oh, okay. and all these guys in it and then on one wall was um, was a bunch of uh, what do you call it? A bunch of pencils of artwork, and it's funny because you see all these pages of Marvel characters, and then you see 
pages of a, of a non-character like Boom Man or something like that. And then you can see what looks like the the um, DC at 50 image because it's got that pop art red dots all over it like that image they had of like Clark Ken holding the DC symbol at 50. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Mm. And uh, uh, again, again, it, it, it's it it's it's available on YouTube. It's called The Ambulance. Came out in 1990. Uh, worth checking out just to see Stan uh, acting in there, and uh, you know, check it out. It's interesting. Yeah, it'll just, interesting. Well, it's like it's not, not a, a great movie, but it's an interesting find. Well, it's it's, it's culturally. I mean, this is a kind of a time capsule. That sounds. Um, Interesting to watch. There's a, and I don't know which one it is, but there's an episode of the Incredible Hulk TV show mm-hmm. where Jack Kirby plays a police sketch artist. Cool. It's a quick 30 second shot, but it's like, hey, Jack, you think you can draw this guy? And he's sitting there with his, you know, sketch pad. And that's it. But, <laughs> um, it's kind of cool to, you know, give these guys kind of their props. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting there going, okay, well, gosh, you know, that's the thing. It's like I'm looking on IMDb to see what else Kirby shows up in. Of course, he's got so much writer credit on there. And, oh, he was on an episode of uh, Starsky and Hutch where he played off, said, Officer Day in the episode about the bounty hunters. I don't remember that one. Oh, we'll see. We'll see let's, yeah, I mean, but if you've got a heavy man, you're heavy man as, a, as an artist or something. You know, heavy man yeah. as, uh, as what he is. There's a. You know, did, cop. Did but. you ever watch the movie Argo? I have not, but I've heard that uh, Michael Park. He is in that. Yep. Yeah, he plays Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to uh, like to see that, but no, I haven't had, had a chance to sit down and watch it you, yet. You know who'd be perfect to play Jack Kirby now? An older Jack Kirby would be Patton Oswalt. I mean, he he looks like Jack Kirby yeah. in that forty fifties range. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, otherwise you'd have to, you know, pull George C. Scott out of the grave and get him to play him. But uh, well, he's too. I think he's too big. You need a little. You need almost like somebody Danny Vito's size. I mean, Patton Oswalt. Yeah. yeah, he's the right size. Uh, I don't think he has quite the right face, but. Um, oh, that's right. Kirby was only five two. Yeah, he wasn't a very big guy. Dang, I didn't know that. I did not know that. All right, uh, you guys got any uh, anything else? I know we've got some no. I email. think we, we can. Do do we have email? Do you want to? Yeah, let me let me pull that up. Read it. Uh, I gotta get. This is a Nigel email. I think it is. I think it, I think it is. The only other thing, um, I started watching Obi Wan and I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I know that Andor is about to come out, and She Hulk, of course, is about to come out. I guess we should do some She Hulk. Uh, well, we talked about that, that we we would, you know, do a, almost a, a comics and cocktails type, not a long dissecting of the episode, but after it, it whenever it shows, maybe we get on Friday or Saturday night and we do a just a quick 30-minute, what did you think, kind of uh, coverage of it. Not a bad idea. I like, yeah, and... and uh... There, there's some other thing. I, I, I'm going to take some things offline with you, Tim, that, that uh, to talk about the future a little bit. But uh, okay. yeah, I'm pulling up. I pulled up the uh, 
the email from Nigel, um, who you guys will probably be hearing a little bit more from Nigel soon. Uh, let's see. And I'm just checking to see if we got anything on uh, iTunes. And no. Nope, nope. No, no iTunes reviews. Shame on you. All right, so our latest uh, email from Nigel Spink. Dear Brian, Tim, John, Kirk, and David, as third-degree burn edges ever closer to the 100th, actually over that number unofficially, uh, I've come to realize that looking at the amount of work burn has produced just for Marvel and DC over the years, you've barely scratched the surface when it comes to issues and runs covered. So I would personally like to hear you guys digging into some of JB's more well-known runs, and ideally in issue order, as you do with X-Men Elsewhere. Over the course of a year, you could focus on three, four, or five runs. For example, Iron Fist 1 through 15, Avengers 181 through 191, Fantastic Four starting at 209 to 220, and Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2 1 through 18. Each issue you could alternate between the four titles covering one or even two issues in number order, and occasionally fit something different in now and then as desired. I think it is time we seriously got dug into FF, especially... Notice how I phrase that? I'm trying to figure that out. What, did I, what, did I, what am I missing there? We, okay, I think okay. it's time we seriously got dug into FF, especially. Hmm. I'm missing something. That's he, probably, he was probably going to say got into, and then he said dug, dug into. into yeah. So just saying, just, we seriously dug into well, yeah, I mean, FF, seriously got into FF, and I think yeah. that will work either way. No, that's cool, though. Uh, he says, I'd also like to hear Legends covered. It is only six issues and could easily be done over two or three episodes, and this could then lead into burn Superman and action comics, etc. Finally, a bit of criticism. But, Brian, you did ask. Despite Kirk's bell ringing and goat screaming, I do feel this year more time is being wasted going off topic. As interesting as it might sometimes be, this can potentially annoy some listeners. Maybe save topics like MCU, Star Trek, and other TV dramas for cocktails and comics. Anyway, there are just a few ideas for you to consider going forward. I'm now really looking forward to episode 100. Nigel Spink. Thanks, Nigel. We do appreciate your comments yeah, there. But thank you. Nice, it, nice as far know. as going off topic, I'm going to say this. Get bent! No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's never our intention to really go off the rails... Uh, with this other other conversation, but we also like a good natural flow of conversation. We'll try and steer it when necessary, um, and yeah, we we do want to try and take some conversations to cocktails and comics. But when the subject comes up, you, you you almost feel like you have to give it some some credence, something you know, some especially if it's something weighty like the death of Nichelle Nichols or the end of uh, X Men Elsewhere. Can't just let all that stuff go by the wayside. Uh, we put out a, a recent episode of Cocktails and Comics, and we'll probably do some more, but they're not happening as often as our regular episodes. So, I mean, we just kind of feel like we, we should go ahead and talk about those things organically. We do appreciate that's That's the key, yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I agree. We, we ramble a yeah. bit, but I think your term of being organic is if you try to table something, then you're not going to come back to it with kind of freshness or energy that it just pops into your head. Yeah, and so, we've rambled since the very beginning, too, and gotten off yeah, on wild tangents and, 
and all that. I mean, again, we're going to try, we'll try and control it as much as we can, try to keep the times down. We're just over, you know, two hours right now, so I don't think we've lost anybody as a result of that. But, you know, if, if, if others, you know, agree with Nigel there, please let us know. We are accepting any and all feedback that we can, you know, either from our uh, email address, gotta get burned at gmail.com, or our Facebook page, Third Degree Burn, right there on Facebook. Uh, or you can leave us a, a review at uh, Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, pretty much everything's read on air. And if you, what was it, Tim, that you suggested? What? That if they do something for us, we'll uh, do something for them. Oh, if they, yeah, if they give us a five-star review, they get to pick a book. Oh, yeah. They basically dictate what we'll cover. And, and he did give us a five-star review, so... Uh, you know, with with Nigel, we'll uh, be covering for our 100th episode. We already talked about this. I don't know if you've officially announced it, but go ahead and tell them. For him. our 100th episode, our official 100th episode, we will be covering <laughs> all six issues of the Project Pegasus storyline told in Marvel 2 and 1. And we will have a special guest star, Mr. Nigel Spink himself. That's right, folks. We'll, if you write to us enough, you wind up on the show. On the that's, show. That's what happened with Kirk, <laughs> what happened with David, what happened with John. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, we, we, we have invited some others. We did invite Steve Wilcox. He, uh, he feels it's more his area to do artwork and to post, you know, great posts, but he does not want to talk on air. Uh, he just does not feel that that's his uh, jamie. Anybody got That's got cool. anything else you want to bring up before we go? No, I think we did a good job. I'm looking yeah. forward to. Sorry, John, go ahead. No, sorry, Tim. No, I was just agreeing. Yeah, I think we did a good job. This was a kind of a sound like it was kind of new to me and John. I hadn't, if I'd read it, I don't remember reading it. Uh, but it was great artwork. Uh, the story, you know, played some seeds for some certain things going on in DC, and it's a nice lead up to. 100 which is uh gonna be a like a it'll be an 80 page giant for us so mm -hmm. and we will try not to ramble too much we'll use the the, the goat or the or the cowbell to uh rein us in as much as we can yeah and to be honest when we cover multiple books like that <laughs> there's the goat when we when we cover multiple books like that we tend not to ramble because we're trying to move along because yeah. we're covering so much it's when we do one issue we just kind of go off the rails and talk about everything. Yeah, so I'm surprised. It should be a pretty tight I'm show. I'm surprised we kept this as tight with uh, with this book. I mean, it, you know, it, it definitely was more book there, you know, than than normal, and we still were able to uh, to get this done in relatively, you know, two hours. So yeah. So uh, let us know what you guys think. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, John, do you have any last words, last thoughts, last ideas, uh, words for the? The listeners. Uh... No, just what I said earlier. It's really, it was really cool to see these two of my among my most favorite artists working together and seeing their distinctness uh, complement each other in a story. And I think it was just a, uh, a really good thing to see their different the way they did things for each of their characters was representative in in this book so it was a really good story i really liked it and yeah they're they're two of my favorite artists so um 
It, it, it was a real treat. Raises, so, it raises was, a good question. Did this crossover help the uh, the circulation of either book? You know, like like did it introduce Wonder Woman to readers that wouldn't normally read her story, and then get them interested enough to go over and start reading that, and vice versa? I'm curious. Know. Interesting. Acquiring minds want to yeah. know. And with that. I think we're we're good. Tim, did you have any last thing you wanted to say? No, no. It was a uh, it was uh, it was a good story, and I think you hit it on the head, John, with saying they complement each other mm-hmm. because oh, they, they neither one of them overshadows the other one. They really is a nice mesh of their two styles. These guys had such so. massive respect for each other over the years, and they've shown nothing but respect to each other over the years. I think them working together was just a. a, a I it, it, I'm just upset that they didn't do more together. You know? What, did I kill it? No, 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 no. I was contemplating. Well, I mean, the, the, the only other thing I know where they actually had a direct uh, uh, collaboration was the X-Men Annual 3, I think. Burn inked one page of that story. Terry Austin had inked most of it, but Burn inked, like, one of the very last pages in, the, in that annual. I'm not aware of any other place where their artwork uh, intertwined not like this I mean in Project Pegasus that but that's not them working on the art together no, is it? no three issues done by one three issues done by the other done by other yeah yep yep uh, so we already know what we're doing next time uh, we really thank you guys for listening to us uh, please let us know what you think, feel, uh, what you want, what you don't want. We want to hear from you. But uh, I think that will do it for us for right now. So for Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. Uh, this guy on my left is who? Not you, Tim. Uh, that's John. I'm on the right. John Hyatt. There you go. God, I always get those mixed up. Tim Elliott. And Tim Elliott. There you go. Thanks, John. Thanks, Tim. Everybody have a great week. We'll be back. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D, D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.